Hello and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank everybody that is finding this podcast. And that being said, my housekeeping is as follows. Please log on to the official website of this podcast at trendingtopicswithbbpodcast.com. There you will find every link to everything you need for this podcast, such as social media. And that being said, if you are listening to this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's now known, or Stitcher, please leave a rating and a favorable comment. It helps this podcast be found by other listeners and certainly will help me out in continuing to provide great episodes. Thank you once again for listening to this podcast. That being said, I have a very exciting guest uh, to unveil and chat that I had. And although we've been on a roll of talking about trans music, this is going to be another awesome topic. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting another fellow podcaster, a woman entrepreneur, and a great overall uh, outlook on uh, the podcasting world, as well as some other endeavors that I will have her explained. Um, so without further ado, I want to give you my chat with Jennifer Crawford. This episode is brought to you by Teeth Powder 2.0. Have you been searching for fluoride-free toothpaste alternative? Are you looking to improve your overall oral health? Then Teeth Powder 2.0 is for you. Teeth Powder 2.0 strengthens enamel, eliminates plaque, and improves your overall oral hygiene. Log on to teethpowder.com, clicking the products tab, then using promo code TTWITHBB to save 15% on orders of two or more. Free shipping for all U.S. orders. Again, that is T-E-E-F-P-O-W-D-E-R.com with promo code TTWITHBB. Thank you again for joining my podcast. I had been meaning to reach out for quite some time, but you know how life is. Um, but the reason, um, well, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on is, um, I know you're an entrepreneur as well. And, um, I, I just kind of wanted to learn a little bit more. You know, I've read up on, on your company and then I also know you from podcasting world. And so I just kind of wanted to learn a little bit more in depth other than what, um, kind of is on your website. And to kind of understand your journey uh, as a as a woman who's an entrepreneur and and loves to podcast as well, so uh, that's what sparked my interest in um, asking you. So I guess my first question is kind of you want to go back, kind of what sparked the idea and, um, about being an entrepreneur and then we'll get to our love of podcasting. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, thanks. I mean, it's one of my favorite topics talking about entrepreneurship and, and business. And the reason it's one of my favorite topics is that it's, you know, completely responsible for, for my independence as a person. It's taught me so much and I'm just forever grateful to have started the journey way back when. So I definitely remember two distinct reasons for starting my first business. I was 19 and I was in college. And um, (laughs) the first reason was I 
thought I was going to go to veterinary school. I'd always wanted to work with animals. I still love animals. And I started doing the math. I, I didn't come from a family that had saved for my education or had the resources to contribute to it. So I started, you know, I'm, I'm not great with math, but I can do simple addition and subtraction. And I knew what veterinarians were making coming out of school. And then I looked at how much graduate school was going to cost. And it just didn't make a lot of sense. And in the meantime, I had started pet sitting for a veterinarian that I had worked for during school. And before I knew it, I had gotten very busy um, with just pet sitting for people's pets while they're out of town, going to their home and taking care of them where they're the most comfortable. And before I knew it, it gradually became a business. And I realized that I was able to do what I what I wanted, which was to work around animals, but without the the ceiling of uh, the income ceiling and without a tremendous amount of debt being tacked onto that. And also, you know, this was, I started my first business in the early nineties, like 1990, I think. Yeah. 1991, 1991. Um, no, 1990, sorry. And at that time, you know, there weren't a lot of women in, you know, higher up positions. And, you know, I definitely was feeling that and was cognizant of it. And I thought, well, this is a way to put myself in a CEO seat, <laughs> so to speak. Like, I don't have to worry about being hired um, or having a high up position. I'm just going to make my own and I can hire who I want. And nobody is going to, I'm not going to feel that, you know, sexism in the workplace because it's, I'm creating my own workplace. And that was very, like a very powerful feeling knowing that I could do that. And there wasn't anybody telling me I, I couldn't. And so 11 years later, I sold that company and, you know, that was my MBA. Essentially it was an 11 year MBA, <laughs> but I graduated by selling a successful company at the end. And by that time, I just realized that entrepreneurship was in my blood. It was, it's really hard to go from never working really for anyone else but yourself. And then even thinking about being put into an employment situation, it's just hard to give up that much agency over your time and, and your income. So I, I started my next business eventually, and that was an abysmal failure, and I lost my shirt. But, you know, fortunately, I didn't lose my enthusiasm for entrepreneurship. So um, so that kind of leads me to um, my companies today, which I have. I happen to have two. One I have with is, is rather new. I launched it last year with a business partner. It's called Sparent, and it's a virtual agency staffed entirely by stay-at-home moms, which I believe is a completely untapped resource. Uh, these women have incredible skills, higher education, business backgrounds, corporate backgrounds, um, but they just need a really flexible work environment so they can do the ultimate job of raising their family. And uh, the business I've had the longest currently is a company called Social Media Rescue. Uh, we're an agency and we have been doing social media management strategy, 
um, and customer online customer service for our clients. And that's been among some other things. And that's a super rewarding business. I love it. It's, it's sort of um, culminates all my business experience um, in one uh, one space that I can, you know, use and help other businesses be more successful, which is totally what gets me out of bed in the morning. I hope that answered your question. Oh, it did. So I guess my follow-up um, is I, I come... I've worked for agencies in, in marketing. Well, I kind of fell into it after college. That really wasn't my goal, but due to when I graduated college, it was like part of this last recession. Um, mm -hmm. So I went from working promotional jobs to um, working at grocery stores to ending up in my first agency job doing SEO. Um, and then obviously evolving with social media. So um, I love that you've adapted with your social media agency. Now, have you run into any problems with saturation in the market? And what I mean by that is right now, there's just, it, there's so many agencies or um, marketing strategies out there that it seems to me, how do you keep from being overlooked? Um, with how social media has evolved. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. One is it, it does feel saturated. I feel that too sometimes like, oh my God, everybody's a social media expert. Um, and we all are to some degree. I mean, people have, I mean, millennials, Generation Z, they've grown up with social media savvy, but I'm able to to combine social media savvy with business savvy. And that's different, you know, posting a selfie on Instagram is not the same as, you know, um, posting on behalf of a brand and a brand's voice with a brand's personality and with a social media plan backing you the entire way. So um, I think there are still, um, it's not so saturated with the really good marketers maybe. And, you know, everybody needs it these days. So it may it may seem saturated, but knowing that every business, uh, almost every business needs a an online presence and some sort of online marketing plan. Um, I, I guess I don't feel that pressure. And also, like any business, um, I don't rely I don't rely entirely on social media to promote myself. In fact, for social media rescue, ironically enough, I use social media almost I don't hardly use it at all for that business because I rely on word of mouth and networking. Um, and that has so far that has kept us very busy. And, um, and I recommend that to a lot of clients as well, that you, you know, social media marketing is its most effective when it's paired with offline efforts, you know, old fashioned marketing still is works the best. Uh, there's no sales funnel in the world that's going to replace me meeting somebody face to face and having a, a substantive conversation and building that trust, um, you know, and sh shaking a hand. Um, no sales funnel in the world is better than that, I, I, in my opinion. So, or more genuine. So, I rely a lot on on networking and and trying to you know put myself in places where potential clients will be. And, and that seems to work. Okay. Okay. Now is, 
is that kind of how you got into podcasting? Because right now, uh, all the headlines in podcasting world is you must podcast to help propel, propel your business. But I podcast just right. because I'm conversing with people. So everybody has kind of their own goals with their podcasting. Um, yeah, and I so, think that's that's the beauty of it. Right. So is that why you, you got into podcasting as well? No, you know, it's this podcasting for me goes back to 2010. And that was I started the podcast in 2010 out of my business that failed miserably. So the business that failed, I should probably give you a little background. It was a brick and mortar and it was a very early co-working space for creatives. So we had a co-working um, art studio, we had a, a stage, we had rehearsal space. Um, so we had a lot of creative endeavors happening within this 5,000 square foot building. And so we were always looking to expand our creative endeavors. And so at the time I had discovered this thing called Ustream. I think Ustream is still around. It was a live streaming app. And it was, I believe it was free. And I was like, well, heck, here we are. We have all of these wonderfully talented individuals coming through our space, but there's still a lot of people that don't know what's going on here. You know, the music that's being performed, the art that's being created, um, the books that are being written. How cool would it be if we could expand the walls through the, you know, by use of the internet? So we started doing this program. It was very rough. I didn't know what I was doing. And we would interview the artists and the poets and the musicians that came through our space thinking, oh, if even like five people, you know, stumble upon this, that's five more people that have discovered an independent artist. And that's where it started. It it developed from there. About a year and a half later, we had to close the business because we were out of money. And, um, and I, I thought, well, what, a, what do I have left from this rubble, you know, of a business? Like, I don't have any money. Um, I'm humiliated. Like, what lessons have I learned? Like, I'm trying to take stock of my, what assets do I have? If, it's, if I don't have financial assets, after this business, like what assets do I have? So one thing I had was this podcast. <laughs> so I brought it to my dining room and uh, took out the live streaming aspect because I realized it was just technologically kind of slowing things down. We didn't have great equipment. Um, the technology for streaming is was a little dicey at best. And who, you know, really nobody really needed to see our faces. I had a co-host and nobody really needed to see our faces. We're just sitting around. So we went to like a true podcast format and we just kept going. And we did that for seven years. And it was really just, a, it turned into, it went through a couple of life cycles. You know, we changed the format almost, pretty drastically a couple of times, but essentially it was a it was a podcast about creative entre entrepreneurship. So I've always believed that the creative class is tremendously shortchanged and undervalued in society um, for just incredibly misguided reasons. And so we were trying to help. I was trying to bring business principles and practices to the creative class so that they could um, work on behalf of themselves Um uh, and treat themselves as more of a business or a brand so that they could 
uh, be financially viable. So that was kind of what we talked about. But after seven years, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you're close to this point, Brooke, but after seven years, I felt like I was starting to repeat myself and I just didn't feel like I had anything original left to say. And I guess I, I just stopped being creatively fulfilled by that podcast. So it, it sort of just came came to a, a gentle end, but it did, um, it did give me the podcast passion. And I really love what is possible with this low barrier, um, medium. And that got me start. I started, um, a four and a half years ago, I started DC PodFest, which is a podcasting conference in the DC, Washington DC area, because I wanted to find people like me that were podcasting in their dining rooms and their basements. I was like, I was the only person other than my co-host that I really knew that was doing this thing, this kind of strange thing that nobody really knew what it was. <laughs> and I just kind of craved some, some company. So I, I didn't find a podcasting conference in the DC area, which I was really surprised because this is an area where there are conferences and groups, uh, organizations and, you know, associations for just about every group of people you can imagine. But there really wasn't anything for podcasters. So um, you could probably relate, you know, when you're, you know, got sort of entrepreneurial DNA, if if you feel like it's needed and it's not there, you have this inclination to build it. And so that's, you know, that's how DC Podcast came about. And now, you know, we're going to be on our fifth year this coming November. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, uh, podcasting is unpredictable in the sense that you just never know where it's going to take you. And I've heard this, I've certainly experienced it and I've heard it from podcasters over and over again that, you know, it's not just the show. It's not just you talking into a microphone. You make these connections and those connections lead to um, opportunities and doors opening that you never really imagined for yourself opening. And that's pretty, you know, pretty magical. I agree. It's kind of funny. I remember you stream because it was, uh, people. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, this podcast actually originally started as a YouTube show on YouTube many, many years ago. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I used to have, I used to have another project called Sports Chat TV that back when Google Plus was a thing, which they're dismantling in like a month and a half, but. Right. Um, yeah. Back back in the early days when that was like in beta stages and developing um, along with YouTube, I, I was one of the early adopters of the Hangout technology. And I created oh, a sports cool. chat TV because I loved sports growing up, playing sports, watching sports. I created a Hangout show using that technology and called it Sports Chat TV, which you can still see on YouTube today. But then as... That platform actually really dismantled years ago, but they're now fully going to get rid of it. Um, I had started this as a show using Hangouts because I didn't just want to limit myself to sports topics. But I found that it wasn't conducive to the TV format, so I converted it into this podcast, which is I'm probably going on four years now. Um, of just learning and figuring out what the best 
way to go about my podcast is because uh, I was very kind of, I didn't know much about podcasting other than I knew that it was catching wave many years ago. So mm-hmm. it's funny how many people say that because I actually, when I switched from TV to making this a podcast, I actually didn't know what to do. And I was very discouraged. And then I just started reaching out to people I found interesting. And that sparked some episodes. And here I am like four years later. I feel like now I finally know what I'm doing on my podcast. <laughs> but it's, it, oh, yeah. Has I'm, I'm, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I totally get that. I'm, I'm always so um, envious of these podcasters that are pros, like, or, you know, they sound like a pro and they, they have it all together after a year. I am like definitely a slow learner. Um, I think our podcast um, sounded like crap for like three years and we did nothing about it. We didn't upgrade our equipment. We just kept going. It was almost, um, I, I don't know. I, I could kick myself now because looking back, I realized we just sort of did it for us, which I don't think is a great reason. Um, I think it was kind of selfish and we didn't really take it as seriously as we should have from the beginning. And of course, we didn't have podcasting conferences way back then. Nobody was really talking about it. So we were just kind of, we thought of it as sort of an experiment. Um, and it wasn't until three or four years into it that we actually were like, hey, we're spending you know, X amount of hours every week on this thing, like, what is the point of spending time on it if we're not going to take it more seriously? And then we sort of cleaned up our act and, um, and did take it seriously for, for quite a long time until, you know, it just, you know, I thought it was a good time to stop, (laughs) but, but yeah, it's, you know, I love, um, the creative freedom you know, with podcasting, I mean, you can really do whatever you want. Uh, you know, there'll be people that tell you, you should do this, you should do that. It should be this length. You should, your intro should be this length. Your outro should be that length. I mean, there's so much advice out there, but, um, you know, there are always those outliers that are super successful that have taken none of the advice. So I think if you're doing something you're passionate about, you have a reason behind it and you, you know, you're committed to getting better along the way, I think you'll do okay. That's that's the reason I've kind of continued because when I figured out that I wasn't going to be a celebrity podcaster or somebody mm-hmm. in media or who was adapting from radio that started one and already had a following and that I started realizing, no, it was about the conversations and talking to people and learning through that, which is really what I geek out about. Um, then I realized then a little bit of the pressure went down other than like the logistics of it all, because then I, it, it became less about monetizing it and less about, um, you know, how many listens or downloads I'm getting more really about who I'm talking to. And like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now is, is kind of, I, cause when you look at some of these really intense celebrity podcasters that are making, you know, Joe Rogan always comes up, but I mean, the amount of money you, you, if you think about the numbers they're making on it, yeah, it can be intimidating, but does that mean their content or their, what they're doing is overkill? Cause it's now seeming like, even I heard, I was listening to his podcast a few weeks ago, and he, 
he admitted he's he's feeling like he's doing too many podcasts. So <laughs> he's oversaturating like, himself. Yeah. So and that's just one example, but um it's just interesting because there's a lot of jokes about mm-hmm. doing podcasts because there's so many podcasts. But I think that's the yeah. Because it's any subject you can take a deep dive on. Yeah, it's it's like the beauty and the the horrificness of it all at the same time, because like anything else, there is a there are a lot of bad podcasts. I mean, I don't mind saying that there are a lot of really terrible podcasts out there. Doesn't mean they're going to stay terrible. I mean, we all start somewhere. Mine was terrible in the beginning. I bet yours was terrible in the beginning because we were all just we don't know what we're doing. Um, but but yeah, there's yeah, it's just kind of like anybody and everybody can and seems like they are doing it. And I think the monetization is, I almost feel like it's a distraction for a lot of people um, because monetization is not realistic for most podcasters, at least not significant monetization. Like the kind of monetization that will pay your mortgage is not realistic for 99.9% of podcasters. Um, So I think it can get distracting and and then you start gauging your success by the number of you know sponsor dollars you have coming in or the number of uh patreon dollars you have coming in and and that's you just such um a gauge that is not exactly accurate when podcasting has a lot of value to offer beyond straight up dollars. Uh, you know, my first podcast that I did, the one I, you know, stopped that I did for seven years, it wasn't about my business. I, I rarely talked about like my business. Like I didn't throw in like in, you know, infomercials or sponsor spots about my business, but it did end up opening doors from my business because people just kind of, um, who are familiar with me through the show, they, there was some sort of trust built there, even though I wasn't talking about my business, I did build my network of people. And so then when those people discovered what I did, then they felt okay coming to me for the services if that I provided if they, when they needed them. So did I directly monetize the podcast? Never, but indirectly, absolutely. So I mean, people need to to sort of consider what other benefits you're getting, you might be getting from your podcast indirectly. Um, and also, you know, I don't know when you started listening to podcasts, but I started to listening to podcasts when I started podcasting or shortly before. And the allure to me was that this was commercial free programming that I could, you know, and programming that was in my control. So I had been, I'd always been a talk radio fan. I love talk radio. I liked radio growing up a lot more than TV, but you were at the mercy of the radio station. So they would drop shows all the time, add new ones, move the schedule around. And you always had to sit through commercials because there's no, you know, fast forward on the radio. And so it just kind of was like a necessary evil and radio commercials can be really annoying. So, you know, then here comes podcasting. And back in the beginning, none of the podcasts had commercials on them. It just, nobody was advertising on podcasts. So it was such a pure listening experience. And I kind of, to be honest, I really miss those days. 
because now, you know, so many of the podcasts that I listen to have quite a few ad spots, you know, pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll. And I, you know, I can easily, you know, fast forward 15, 30 seconds at a time. But when I'm driving, I don't want to be doing that, right? So um, it's kind of a bummer if I'm, you know, if I'm not able to do that, and I've got to sit through a commercial, the same commercial I've already heard several times because it's a regular um, show that I listen to. So it's tough because I want the shows that I enjoy to be sustainable. So I have to, because of that, I have to be okay with them having commercials because they need, you know, it's not free to podcast. It costs money. So yeah, that's, that's sort of my podcast dilemma. Right. So how did you, because we, we've met because of the community on Podbean, because I use Podbean as one of my hosts. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with that? So Podbean and I crossed paths because they were the first um, company to sponsor DC PodFest. And that meant so much to me because here I am uh, doing a conference for the very first time putting on a conference is not cheap. And I had to, you know, I cover my costs. So, you know, part of, you know, you do that through ticket sales and you do that through sponsorships. So for them to um, be like, I think they were, yeah, they were my biggest sponsor and my first sponsor um, with me not having a track record, having it be the first year doing the podcasting conference with me not being able to tell them how many people were going to be attending because I had no idea and they were just supportive and um, and not just, you know, organically like nice about it, but they actually put, you know, dollars in the conference's pocket and they actually attended the conference. And that meant uh, Shannon, who's uh, one of the admins in our Facebook group, you know, that mean, meant her flying to Washington, D.C. from Shanghai. So that to me was like just... Um, showed a lot of, I don't know, support and kindness. And so we, I got to know Shannon and then she asked me what I did, like outside of, you know, this conference and podcasting. And I told her about social media rescue and she said, you know, um, Podbean needs some help in that arena. And so that's how, so Podbean became one of my business clients and I handle, you know, their account personally. I've become really close with the team. I got to conferences on their behalf and um, I work really closely with them. I wear a couple different hats under my service umbrella for them. And um, that's how that relationship was established. So just one of, you know, one concrete example of how just being out there with you know, the podcast and podcasting opened up that door. Well, that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, I think so too. But, well, I guess my, my follow-up question is, is now there's, well, maybe I just wasn't aware of it prior to finding Podbean, but there seems to be a lot of hosting companies now. And they're all offering yeah. certain packages or certain features and then we'll be, mm -hmm. a minute ago, we were talking about Patreon. I know Podbean has crowdfunding. And I'm right. finding that that's really not, unless you are a celebrity or somebody with a following or an influencer, it's not necessarily the best avenue to go because I feel like as a whole, as a society, people are just sick of 
I don't know, want to say donating, but you know what I mean? Like funding mm-hmm. others. The GoFundMe has kind of ruined people's like <laughs> willingness it's too much, to fund too much somebody's of a good thing. dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, I know what you're saying. There are a lot of hosting companies now. I think there's still, you know, a handful of what I would call like the established, reputable hosting companies that have been in the arena for a long time and do a really good job providing hosting services. You know, there's Podbean, there's Lipson, there's Blueberry, there's Spreaker. Um, we've all been in the game a long time. And when you go to podcasting conferences, those are the companies that you're going to see. Um, and, you know, it's worth mentioning because I think as a podcaster, you can have confidence knowing that these companies, one, have longevity, Two, um, they've been through a lot of the podcast, you know, uh, life cycle. Um, they, they have history with the podcasting medium and they've had that time to perfect the services that they provide and they are more in tune with the actual needs of podcasters. So those are the platforms that you're going to see, I think have the best features, um, and have, um, be financially stable. They're not just going to like shutter their, um, close the shutters and be gone one day. Um, but with that said, it that doesn't mean that there are, there aren't other good podcast hosting companies. But I think part of this is, you know, the whole podcasting, um, ecosystem right now is very interesting. It reminds me a lot, um, of the internet bubble. I don't know if you remember the dot-com bubble, like when um, tech companies were literally just people were just writing checks, like blank checks to tech companies without looking at their profit and loss, without looking at, you know, their tech, you know, without looking too deep, they just wanted to get in, right? They just wanted to get in because this is happening and people were making money and they didn't want to miss the boat and it's hot, hot, hot. And so this is kind of how on a small, much smaller scale, I feel is happening with podcasting. Like all of a sudden advertisers are like, oh, this is where we're getting ROI and marketing now. Like we, now we have solid established research from reputable resources telling us that, um, listeners of podcasts actually make purchase behavior based on ads they hear in podcasts. Um, their attention um, to the content is longer. They don't skip ads as much as they do um, in other other platforms. So now the advertising giants have woken up. And now, um, now that advertisers want to spend money on podcasts, we see these mergers and acquisitions happening because now they need the content in order to sell the ads on them, right? So everyone wants to get a piece of that action, it feels like. And so it feels a little frantic at the moment. And I kind of just want to like let things settle and see, see what happens. Ultimately, I think it's good because it's bringing a lot of awareness to podcasting. And I think, um, I think it's going to make us all better. I think all of the podcasting services are going to get better because we have to be more competitive. I mean, Podbean, you know, has to be competitive. So, um, of course, we're paying attention to all of the features and things that are being offered by our competitors and seeing which of those are really valuable and if we want to also offer them or offer something different or better. So... Um, that's what I mean. I think, you know, even though it's a little frantic, I think ultimately it's going to make us all better. There's more people podcasting, which means in order to stand out as a podcaster, you have to 
produce better, not only produce better content, because talent certainly isn't enough, but um, you have to produce better content and have better consistency and you have to have a better marketing plan and you have to have a better brand um, in order to have, you know, a hope of standing out in the crowd. On the flip side, you don't necessarily need a large audience depending on on what you're doing and and uh, what you want to get out of it. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, there are tons of niche podcasts that have uh, very small audiences, but they're such a, they're such focused audiences that advertisers are very interested in them. So yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, it's really wild. I don't know if you're, I think you're probably keeping up on, on all of the podcast news and um, Gimlet and Anchor being bought by Spotify. And so, oh, it's a lot of excitement out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love that there's um, such emphasis on podcasting right now, but mm-hmm. I think to kind of go back about when we were talking about monetization, um, what's interesting is that because I listen to a lot of podcasts because at my day job, I stare at the screen all day, so I just put my headphones on because that's kind of, I work in, in, in another set of media. I work in advertising for uh, streaming services so I work in the mm-hmm. tv side but while I'm crunching the numbers of that I listen to podcasts all day and it's just hilarious for me is that because I, I listen to comedians right I have uh, I love comedy so a lot of comedians mm-hmm. have podcasts obviously and it's interesting yeah. they all have the same sponsors so it's like yeah <laughs> it's like once you like even if you take up one of their offer codes you'll hear it on another spot, like another podcast because they've all monetized, like monetize, use monetization the same way, which is really interesting. It's mm-hmm. like, why, if you know, because they all go on each other's podcasts. So these advertisers can't be naive to the fact that they're all friends and all have podcasts now. So it's just interesting to me, like they all do, I don't know, nature box one time and they all do Squarespace. And they right. All, you know, and it's just, the reason these wouldn't advertisers change their strategy a little bit on who they actually sponsor just because you know the audience has already heard them or are they hoping that there's that one person that is just now finding podcasting that won't know that they're a sponsor for everything i think it's both i think you know with advertising there are um studies showing that you know you act on an ad like the third time you hear it. So they're not really worried about saturation. They want, you know, um, Casper Mattress wants their name to pop in your head when it's time to buy a mattress. And the only way they can be sure that that happens is if they, you know, are everywhere. (laughs) They're everywhere that you're listening to podcasts. So there's that kind of ad that's kind of um, just mass produced digitally and, you know, put out um, on like with a big media buy on multiple shows. And then there's the more intimate host read ad um, where maybe, you know, they could be reading copy or they could also be given some creative freedom to incorporate the ad within their show. Those are clearly the more effective ads because they're less um, disruptive in the show and they're able to to weave them in naturally. And because the host is there talking about the product, 
um, it's more genuine and you're more likely to trust the recommendation because you trust the host, you like the host. They're saying they have a Casper mattress and they sleep on it every night and it feels great. Um, it's much better than just a digitally inserted, you know, ad that you've heard a duplicate of multiple times. So there are two different advertising options, I guess, there for advertisers. Yeah, I think the advertisers, after this sort of um, frenzy calms down a bit, I think they're going to find that, you know, those studies saying that the, you know, the purchase behavior and the ROI is so impressive, you know, it doesn't mean that that is going to remain impressive. Um, people get really are tired of being advertised to. And with the invention of on-demand media where we can skip, you know, ads um, or we can subscribe to uh, things like Netflix with no ads. I mean, we're less and less tolerant of, of ads or, or obnoxious ads. So now you're seeing advertisers get really creative and and doing more of a storytelling scenario um pulling at our heartstrings um things that you know touch our emotions and are not just buy this mattress too for buy these two pillows for the cost of one <laughs> um they're they're having to be more creative so i i'm assuming they're they're also we're also going to see that creativity incorporated in the podcasting medium as well because, yeah, um, you've got to get your products in front of people. But when people don't want to be advertised to, what do you do? Right. You have to get, yeah. You have... maybe, well, it's just maybe interesting for me because I, I do listen to a lot of different podcasts, but yet they're the same advertising. So it, mm -hmm. maybe it's just I'm, I'm an anomaly because I'm kind of, not only am I consumer, but I also produce. So that could be it. Yeah. I mean, how many Blue Apron ads can you, can you listen to? It's yeah. And another thing that I've, I've seen quite a bit of lately because I, I listen to, um, I like business podcasts and I, and I listen to, uh, quite a few true crime podcasts. And so particularly true crime, it's a very popular genre and shows are, are doing really well in that in that space. But I've noticed that when a new um, season of a true crime podcast comes out or a new true crime podcast comes out, particularly if they're coming out on like a Wondery platform or something like that, um, all the true crime podcasts will have not an ad. I mean, it is an ad, but not an ad incorporated into their show, but they will do as an episode that's essentially just a promo for that other true crime show. And so you'll see all, you know, all of the, the shows that I subscribe to have this episode come out the same day and it's the same thing. It's just this, you know, trailer for the, the new true crime podcast. And I, I'm curious how effective that is because I see as soon as I see those, I don't listen to them because I know they're just ads and there's, even if I did listen to one, I'm not going to listen to 20 of them. So I'm, I would love to see some data on that type of, strategy yeah i've noticed that because now that um iHeartRadio is latching on to podcasting because they now had an award show and they mm -hmm. uh, just launched uh the ron burgundy podcast i saw 
how much advertising that podcast happened. And then, not that I, I loved the movie Anchorman, and I thought it, you know, Will Ferrell was funny. So I listened to it. Yeah. The first one was a trailer. Like, well, I'm Ron Burgundy, and welcome. And it was literally like 30 seconds or a minute. I don't know how many. And I was like, well, this was ridiculous. So then when it finally came out <laughs> the other week, I was like, all right, I'll listen to it. And it was, I don't know if it's because it was like the pilot episode, but it was even for Ron, we all know Ron Berg is a, uh, is a character, but it was, mm -hmm. it, it seems completely scripted to the point that it was mm -hmm. like, not even f the funny parts of that they were trying to be sarcastic wasn't, you, you couldn't laugh at it because you're like, you guys literally wrote this. Like, <laughs> it was very like now there's all these podcasts not not all of them but like there's a few i've noticed that it's just like now it's become like a joke to some people i don't know if that's what their intentions were but it's interesting because i don't know if maybe because they assume that they need some sort of different content that because it's on iheart radio or whatever it is iheart conglomerate um, but it's just, yeah, it's, you, you'd almost wish you could be a fly on the wall with like the concept meeting and then also be a fly on the wall while they're like looking at their their stats and and wondering, you know, if this is going to be something that has longevity or if it's just going to disappear pretty quickly for whatever reason. <laughs> but it sounds like they want to try something that sounded like a good idea, but maybe it just needs some workshopping still. Right, and, and just it was just interesting because I was like I couldn't even. Yeah. Notice. After fifteen minutes of it, I I switched to another podcast because I was like, this is not even entertaining, which is sad because I really wanted it to be. <laughs> so yeah, know, maybe maybe I've been conditioned with all my other podcasting that I'm just prefer more um, realistic content, like actual conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I don't know what it is, but. Uh, before we go, I kind of want to go back to DC Podcast real quick. So I've noticed, okay. like, yeah, as you mentioned, it was one of the first conferences in your area, if not one of the first. But I've now noticed there's podcast movement because I thought about going to that this year. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a few others. And then there's now the Podcasting Journal is a big newsletter that I've been recently reading. Not everything that's there, but here and there. And so... It's interesting because we're talking about this big like frenzy that we're feeling. Because I feel the same way. I just like podcasting is like blown up all of a sudden. Um, do you think it's? Oh, I'm, I lost you for a little as, bit there, bro. As a whole, podcasting, I don't know if you can still hear me, but <laughs> right intentions with it, or do you think we're gonna we're gonna see the bubble burst? Because you know, networking at conferences is great, but. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts of uh, those in your network and, and the success you've had. Uh, okay. So I missed a bit of your question because it cut out for a little bit. So are you asking about, um, just to clarify, I don't want you to have to repeat yourself completely, but you might have to. Um, are you asking if there's like a saturation in just the, the conference, the podcasting conference space? No, no. I, I feel like more conferences are good because they're in different Okay. What I'm getting okay. at is, do you, do you think that the intentions of the curriculum and, I guess, subjects 
on maybe the schedules at these conferences have the best intentions because I I know they've a lot of them are reaching out to podcasters themselves to maybe lead a, a keynote speech or even a panel but obviously nobody not everybody can be selected so who who determines who the experts are I guess that's where my point is other than maybe successful podcasters but how do you gauge that yeah I mean I guess there's there are are several criteria. I know as a conference organizer, um, sometimes you you have some speakers in mind that you'd like to have and you may reach out to them individually um, to invite them to be to speak. And other times, um, well, the rest of the speakers usually come from a speaker application. And so that's a lot of time for a conference organizer to vet those applications. And those applications um, include, you know, links to your online presence, links to your content. Um, you know, we'll see your accolades, your background, um, your following, your influence. And we'll take all of those things. I'll take all of those things into account as well as the subject matter, because sometimes somebody's just in a really unique position to speak about something. And maybe they don't have 10,000 followers, but they have a unique experience. And from that experience, they have a lot to say that is important to hear. Um, and then there are people that, you know, for instance, I had um, a really uh, great speaker. Her name is Karen Yankovich. And she um, she's known as a LinkedIn expert. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, it feels strange to call yourself, at least I feel strange when I call if I like, I don't call myself an expert really on anything. Um, but she has, you know, really narrowed her focus to LinkedIn and she knows LinkedIn like the back of her hand. So, and that's her whole branding and business is about that. She teaches courses, she consults. Um, she obviously has like this really impressive resume around LinkedIn. So I thought that was an interesting topic, like how podcasters can use LinkedIn to spread the word about their podcast, because I don't think that's the first platform that podcasters jump on. I don't think, I think some of them sleep on LinkedIn. I think most of them sleep on LinkedIn, um, yet it might be the perfect place for them to be. So she, you know, she was my LinkedIn expert and she talked about LinkedIn for podcasters and that was, that was great. So, but, and she had, um, I had reached out to her because I had seen her speak at another conference. And uh, she didn't have a lot of time to speak at that conference and I could give her more time. And I really wanted to hear more of what she had to say. I thought, and I thought other people would, would benefit as well. So that's just one example, but you know, the, it, it works similarly from speaker to speaker. You, you look at their overall credentials and you try to get an idea of their savvy as a speaker because you don't want your attendees to complain that, and they will, <laughs> because they have every right to. Uh, you don't want your speaker, uh, your attendees to complain about the content of your conference or the quality of the speakers because they might not return next year. So you're only as good as you know the content that you're providing. Right. It's just interesting. I mean, not that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard anything bad about it. I'm just curious because there's you. You're seeing more and more conventions or, or meetups or what you want to call happen in the podcasting realm. But um, so it was just oh, curious yeah. what your thoughts. 
So, yeah. um, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I guess we could talk about podcasting. <laughs> it's a fun subject for sure. It, it, it really is. Um, so, uh, you mentioned it briefly and I wanted to touch on it. Um, I know you, you said you started with a business partner, your, your company mm -hmm. helps single, not single moms, but moms in general that have, uh, any array of skills. Um, why do you think that's a niche that hadn't been tapped into? Because that makes complete sense that some moms change careers or just want to help raise their family. Um, so why, why do you think that it's still kind of in the back of people's minds? I don't know. I think um, I think stay-at-home moms can uh, can become a little isolated sometimes. You know, I was thinking of the stay-at-home moms that I know. Uh, my sister, who was an attorney, and she had her own law firm, which she surrendered. Um, she made a decision to surrender that law firm. <laughs> surrender. That's probably not a good word. Just close her law firm so that she could stay home um, and raise my niece and nephew, and and you know be there with what like in their formative years, you know, preschool. And um, I know it wasn't an easy decision for her. I mean, here she is, she's used to running a law firm, making a, a big income, you know, just showing up at court, wearing Ann Taylor suits. And now she's at home with two kids, um, you know, in sweatpants and, and not contributing financially to the household. Um, so, you know, she was a bit of an inspiration. And also my business partner and I, we were friends first and we are both business owners and business women. And we would meet for coffee and just kind of help each other work out like whatever business issues we were going through at the time, we'd give each other advice and guidance and swap stories. And we ended up uh, both using um, a couple of stay-at-home moms on a freelance basis to help us with various tasks within our business that, you know, we needed to get caught up on or just, you know, things that just needed to get done, but either weren't getting done or were distracting us from more important tasks. And these women we were working with just happened to, well, they were stay-at-home moms and they, we realized how efficient they were because they just didn't have, you know, their time was very, um, you know, structured or they were just really great at multitasking. I don't know what it is. I, you know, you know, the, they don't call them super moms for nothing. Uh, you know, but we would give them an allotted amount of time to get a project done and they would always complete it much faster. And she and I were talking one day, I was like, you know, these stay-at-home moms are the best like freelancers I've ever, you know, hired. They've been so great. And, you know, we could probably start an agency just hiring stay-at-home moms because I know so many stay-at-home moms that have great talents. They're super smart, super just skilled and talented in so many ways. But how can you even hold a part-time job when you have like a family with very unpredictable needs at times and they have to take absolute priority. So we wanted to provide a decent income. So our minimum wage, uh, our uh, self-imposed minimum wage is $20 an hour for our parents. And so that's where they start with us. So it was very important that we give them decent pay for the work that they did. Um, not that anybody's getting rich, but 
we wanted to like have that baseline to work from. So they knew that at least they would be getting that no matter what. And, uh, and we also wanted to offer them the ultimate flexibility. So if you're up with a sick kid at 2 a.m., you know, there's some, you know, you can get your spirit work done because most of our tasks don't have hard deadlines. They have soft deadlines or flexible deadlines. And if we do have a hard deadline, then that is, um, that is work, premium work. So they get paid more for that. So we really tried to structure it with like a mom's like schedule in mind. And, you know, and, and they love it because here they are, they, they have a little bit of a network to work with. Like they're, you know, we kind of like are a little, little online family and they get to use their skills or learn new ones. Um, they're able to contribute financially to the household, or even if it's just to have a little mad money, um, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I find it really rewarding. I, I myself, am not even a mother. I don't have any kids. I have a big dog, but I am, uh, I'm such an admirer of women with kids and all they do for them. And I couldn't, I, I can barely keep keep a plant alive, so um, they have my my utmost respect. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, um, thanks. Is there any special um, links? Uh, I mean, I'm going to put the links to uh, what we've done. Yeah, I think I was supposed to send you all that stuff. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I know I owed you, I owed you that stuff. I realized that I, I forgot like right before the call. I was like, oh my gosh, I was supposed to send her stuff. So um, if you want to reach me online personally, uh, my handle everywhere is Jen Runs Business. And you can reach me um, or if you want to check out Sparent, it's uh, Sparent.co. So Sparent.co. And our handle on social media is Sparent.co everywhere and social media rescue um is smrescue.com and uh you can find me online from there so thank you for asking <laughs> sorry i have like so many like uh entities online because of the the multiple businesses but i appreciate you asking no problem well um like i said i'll definitely link those up in the description but thanks again for doing this i i hope you enjoy, I, I enjoyed learning a little bit more in depth because um, uh, I, I love fellow women and entrepreneurs. I'm not, I'm not as successful as you, but at least I try. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? I've, you know, I've had successes and I've had absolute failures and that's just sort of, you know, par for the course with entrepreneurship. So definitely don't get discouraged <laughs> at all. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's like a roller coaster for sure. But yeah, thank you so much. You know, um, sometimes just having a conversation is really rewarding in itself. So I've had a great time. Thank you for being curious about me. I really always makes, makes me feel good. So I've had a, had a blast. All right. Thank you. And I'll definitely reach out to you soon. Sounds good, Brooke. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. You too.